Welcome. You are listening to a broadcast by Barnabas Foundation, your trusted partner for smart and powerful generosity. And here is your host, Reverend Philip Leo, Director of Church Communications. Thank you for joining us on Facebook Live today. It is a pleasure to be with you. My name is Philip Leo, and I am Church Communications Director here at Barnabas Foundation. I'm trying to get my title changed to Church Guy, but nobody is going along with that. Um, but one day I will succeed and overcome. I'm so happy to have with me Scott Roden. Hi, Scott. Thank you for joining me today. Good morning. Hi, Philip. Great to be with you. I so appreciate your time. So I know it's uh, you have a really busy schedule, and I want to thank you right. for squeezing us in here today. Uh, Scott is the president of the Stewards Journey and also of Kingdom Life Publishing. He has a website called thestewardsjourney.com. I get uh, your weekly emails from that, Scott. So thank you very much. I always enjoy those emails. Um, Scott is also the author of a couple of new books that are just out, The Million Dollar Dime, and also The Four Gifts of the King. Those are available on Amazon and also at kingdomlifepublishing.com. So look for those. Uh, Scott's a, a thought leader in uh, the broader church around uh, generosity, around growing, growing generous believers. And uh, this morning we're going to take just a little bit of time and talk around and about uh, our title today, God Doesn't Want Your 10%. And um, I'm, I'm really interested in this uh, for lots of reasons, and I'm sure you share them, Scott, uh, one of them being that what we're interested in doing uh, has to do with discipleship, that uh, as we talk about growing uh, faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we have to recognize that our wealth is uh, in tow there, that our wealth is connected to that journey. And I know, Scott, you've spent many, many years uh, aiming at growing faithful followers of Jesus Christ, and your heart is uh, really passionate about this topic. So, um, so when we talk about the tithe this morning, we're not doing so just out of academics. We're not doing it just because uh, we have nothing else to do. We do it because uh, we know that church leaders are um, seeking to practice discipleship and equip their churches for discipleship. And this is a challenging area. Uh, our wealth can be a challenging topic, uh, especially for new believers. Um, and of course, this topic of uh, the tithe has been around. This isn't a new thing. It's been around for uh, decades and decades, hundreds of years, you know, thousands of years. Um, and I guess my first question to you, Scott, is... Why hasn't uh, the question of the tithe been settled? What's at stake here when it comes to uh, the tithe? Well, thanks, Phil. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to just spend a few minutes chatting about this subject because I think it's such a, a critically important subject for the body of Christ. So I'm going to um, I'm going to start by doing just a little bit of theology. Because what I'd really like to do is to is to uh, create for our listeners 
uh, a picture in their mind that they can hold that I think will help us talk a little bit about some of the challenges in this concept of the tithe. So here's the picture. Um, all of us would agree, I think, in the beginning to say God owns everything. It's all his. And I think ask any believer and they'd say, of course, God owns everything. We all agree with Abraham Kuyper, who said, you know, there's not a square inch of all the universe over which Christ doesn't proclaim mine. But it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to actually let it seep into our spirit and actually impact our actions. Because you see, Phil, when we talk about God owning everything, we have to put in that things like our marriage, our kids, our reputation, our identity, our job, our future, our health. I mean, when you think about everything, everything's a big word. And if we're really going to be true stewards, we have to be pretty comprehensive in terms of that everything. And of course, we think it, it also includes our money, our finances, our possessions. So if you start with this, this idea that this is all God's and he gives us as caretakers, temporary caretakers, the opportunity to steward what is his for his purposes. That's the, the biblical picture I think we have of our relationship to our lives and everything around us. The challenge, I believe, is that because we're sinful, uh, we don't live out, actually, this kind of one kingdom. We call this one kingdom living, by the way. And it's this great idea that we all, there's only really one kingdom, right? It's the kingdom of God. And there's only one Lord in that kingdom. And it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of this kingdom. But I'll certainly say in my life, what it looks more like is that there is this kingdom out there. But there's also this second kingdom. And it's the second kingdom made up of the stuff in my life that, frankly, I really do want to own and control. All right, so it's things over which I still kind of want to hang on. I want to call the shots. I want to, I want to look at these things and say, ah, these are really mine. You know, we reenact Genesis chapter 3 when the, when the serpent said to Eve, you know, if you eat of the fruit, you will be like God. Well, a great way for us to be like God is to be God over something. And so we create these little second kingdoms. And, I, and just it's much bigger than what we're going to talk about today. But for our listeners, think about all those things that we might have in that second kingdom, because it might be our marriage. It might be our kids. It might be our reputation. It might be our future. It might be our identity. But here's the key, Phil. Everything that we hold on to in that second kingdom is the source of the fear and anxiety and stress and discouragement that we experience in our life. I, I believe that with my whole heart. That stuff in our second kingdom is what the enemy uses to kill and steal and destroy the abundant life that Jesus came to give us, right out of John 10.10. 10. That's the two parts of John 10.10. 10. So of all the things that might be in that, for our purpose this morning, let's just think about our money. Let's just say that I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that for maybe 80 or 90% of the people sitting in the pews of churches on a Sunday morning and maybe listening here, if we're honest with ourselves, we kind of keep our money in that second kingdom. I mean, we work hard to make it. We earn it. We want to control it. We want to invest it. We want to spend it the way we want to spend it. And we want to, and we want to decide how and how much we give. And so we're, we're two kingdom people in this idea of how we, how we view our money and our resources. Now, if that rings true to some of our listeners, and if you're nodding your head, if you can even yourself, we can, can't we see it? We can feel it ourselves. We, we can operate in this two-kingdom way. 
think about for a minute, what is the message we should be bringing to the people in our churches every Sunday morning with regard to this two kingdom reality? Well, I believe that we should consistently be preaching against this way of living and setting people free to be one kingdom people. And the way that we do that is that we ask them, we challenge them, we encourage them, and we, we walk with them as they set us, as they surrender the things in their second kingdom and give them back to Christ. And day by day, walk that journey of being a more faithful steward of everything they have. Now let's put money in there for a minute. How do we do that in the church? How do we set people free from that bondage of believing that this money is really mine? Well, this is my concern with why we, what happens most of the time when we teach about this idea of a tithe. And I have three, I have three problems, three challenges about thinking about the tithe. First of all, I'll just be honest, I don't think it's biblical. I don't believe that in the New Testament that Jesus and Paul and the epistles, I don't believe that it teaches a 10% tithe for a Christian. I don't find it anywhere. And I'll just, uh, let me give you, a, if I can throw a quick little plug in here for a book that's not mine, for your readers. If you want to read more on this, the best treatment I've seen on a really good biblical examination of this understanding of the tithe was written by a, friend, a guy called Guy Burgo, B-U-R-G-O. First name is Guy, G-U-I, B-U-R-G-O. And it's simply called Free to Give as God Intended. Free to Give as God Intended. So pastors out there, people that are that are interested in this, grab that book. It's on Kindle, and he just walks us through beautifully why the, the, the concept of the tithe is an Old Testament mosaic law that was never brought into the ethic of the New Testament kingdom of God. So first of all, I don't think there's biblical evidence to teach it. But secondly, here's kind of this bigger challenge. Think about what the way we usually teach the tithe, what does that do to this two kingdom idea that our people are sitting out there with this divided kingdom? Well, the way I've heard it taught most of the time, it basically reinforces that idea in people's minds. It gives us this idea that, okay, here's how much of your money, you know, you need to give to God. So it frames a question. They always answer, here's the questions that usually come up when we talk about tithing. It's this question of, well, how much is enough? How much is enough? I've got my money here. How much does God want? How much is, and when we, when we ask the question, how much enough, it's almost always around answering the question, how much is enough so that I don't feel guilty? How much is enough so that I can kind of feel generous? And I can look around and say, well, church studies say that the average Christian is giving, what, two and a half, three percent, something like that. So if I give four percent, oh my goodness, I'm a generous person and I can now take, listen to the language, 4% of what is mine, give it to God and reinforce this idea that I really do have this kingdom over here. I don't see any tithing teaching that explodes the two kingdom view. I think intent, it instead tends to reinforce this idea. It really is your money, but there's a percentage of it. Somehow we've got to figure out for you to give over here to God. That's the second reason that it frustrates me. A third reason, and I think this might be the most frustrating, is that no pastor would say, look, just come to church on Sunday morning, give me your three hours, and you can spend the week the way you want to. They certainly wouldn't teach, get up in the morning, have your morning devotional for 30 minutes, and then you spend the day any way you want to. But we inherently in this idea of the tithe is this idea that if I will give to God like three or 4%, however much I need to give, not to feel guilty, as soon as I paid God what he is due, I am free 
to spend the rest of it any way I want. The stewardship, we, so, we spend so much time talking about stewardship around this idea of the tithe that, that we leave 96, 95, 94% of what a person has just to themselves because it's that old two kingdom way of looking at it. I just believe that it's time for us to come back to this idea that the best way in which we can equip the body of Christ to be full believers in every area of their life is to challenge this two kingdom idea at its very core and help people understand God is not looking at your 2%, your 3%, your 5%, your 10%, any more than he wants your two hours on Sunday morning or your 30 minutes in the beginning of the day. He wants it all. He owns it all. And he wants it all. He wants 100% of you. And as stewards, he wants us to put all of it before him and ask the question, Lord, how much would you help me steward into the kingdom of God the resources that you put in my disposal temporarily? It becomes a very different set of questions when you come at it from the idea that I'm a one kingdom person. It all belongs to God. And I am here to steward resources in the work of his kingdom for his glory. Now, that old bondage of the stuff that's in our second kingdom, we begin to be set free. And, and as the final piece I'll say on this is we help reconnect people with the joy of giving. And if you read, you know, Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul is just going on and on about this unbelievable Macedonian gift and how people, they gave far more than they ever even were able to give. And they did it because they were, they were overwhelming joy. And he calls people to be rich and abundant. The, the New Testament ethic of giving is, a, is an abundant, generous, joyful giving that just comes out of our heart. It's not tied to a percentage. It is tied to our ability. Because several places in the New Testament talks about giving out of our ability. But oh my goodness, if, if God gets a hold of us, what could that be? That could be a, a, a huge amount. And it connects us with joy. And that's what I'm hoping in the end. However you teach giving, we need to be connecting people with the fact that when you give in an evangelical way, when the Holy Spirit touches your heart and leads you to usher God's resources into God's kingdom, the only result is joy. I get a chance to be a faithful steward to do this great thing. Yeah. That's what I think is at stake with this teaching of the tithe versus a much more New Testament understanding of surrendering it all and, and letting God guide and direct us in how we give generously. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a mouthful. And, um, and there is a tremendous amount of, at stake as, as I'm listening to you. Well, there's so much I appreciate, but I, and I can't even uh, go down all the roads I want to go down, but I, um, I'm imagining church leaders, I'm imagining pastors listening to this and just receiving this as uh, a really powerful reminder of uh, our ministry as uh, we consider uh, the folks that are serving in our church's ministries, uh, as we consider the folks that are uh, coming week to week uh, as worshipers, um, the comprehensive nature of the gospel and uh, the complete and total lordship of Jesus Christ is um, is mm. overwhelming and mm -hmm. also uh, incredibly challenging uh, yeah. for us in church leadership. Mm. You know, one of the ways I've heard the tithe talk talked about, and I'm wondering, um, I'd, I'd like to hear your response on this. I've heard leaders, church leaders say, you know, as, as I try to raise up um, 
faithful followers of Jesus Christ who perhaps don't have any history when it comes to giving, I find that teaching the tithe is a good set of training wheels for them. It's, uh, it communicates well, it's, uh, it's simple to explain, and it sort of helps them get the practice of giving until uh, we can talk about giving more than the tithe. Hmm. Uh, I'm just wondering if you've come across that and, and what your thoughts are about it. Yeah, sure, Phil. Well, the reason that it, that I have come across it, and the reason I think that pastors find it simple and easy is because it's transactional. It's totally transactional. I can sit down with a new believer and say, well, if you want to start giving, start at 2%. Okay, I go to my budget, I take, figure out where I'm going to put 2%, I put it in the offering, I've done it, I've, and, and there you are, right? Threw me right back into my two-kingdom way of life. Right. So I've just made a transaction. I've actually transferred assets from my kingdom to God's kingdom. And now I can check it off the list and go do what I like. Why in the world would we do that with a new believer? Why wouldn't we introduce a new believer to this, this freedom that they can have? So here's a, here's an alternative rather than teaching, uh, using it as training wheels. Uh, we, we challenge people. Um, and I think this would be great for new believers as well to, to just try this, try this little technique. Some, sometime at home, uh, if you have a wife or a, or a husband, uh, get your spouse with you. If you have kids, get your kids with you around the table. But put on your kitchen table everything that represents things that the world tells you that you own. So you can put the deed to your house, the deed to your car. If you have a, a for portfolio, put that in there. Get real serious about this. Put your your marriage license. Put your kids' birth certificates. Put um, your your financial statements, your your salary, you know, stubs, everything you can, and let the table represent. Uh, stuff right now in this world that God has entrusted to you. And then with it all there, hold hands around the table and say a prayer. Basically, it says, God, man, this is all yours. And our first response to this is absolute thanksgiving. You see, Phil, if I teach a brand new Christian that, you know, give your two or 3% tithe, it's a good place to start. Where am I connecting them with the spirit of absolute overwhelming thankfulness? It just doesn't do it, does it? It's just, just disconnected. You put it, you put everything together and look at it there and just say, God, thank you for this incredible, what you've given us. Just look at it. Teach your kids to look at it and say, oh my goodness, God's given us. Now, here's the question. What would you have us do with it? And let's put together a budget, a prayerfully put together budget that says, how do you think God is leading us now to, to, to move these resources into his work? And to enjoy what we have, too, Phil. The one thing I don't want people to think is this doesn't mean that, that you can't, that God doesn't give us resources to enjoy. He does. We're supposed to enjoy it. But we enjoy it out of that Thanksgiving and out of, out of all of that. So yeah. that, to me, is a better way to introduce people to this abundant joy of giving rather than giving them a 2% and not connecting them with the joy of giving and making them think that this is all about just a transaction, a financial transaction. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it, there's a striking difference, isn't there, between – hey, 10% is tra transactional versus uh, asking the question together as a family or as a husband, wife, or even as mm -hmm. you know, a group of friends saying, Lord, right, would right. you, how would you have us uh, right. use these resources? Yeah. What's most wise and fitting? That's, uh, yep. that's, a, that's a question that's open to, this, to the leading of the spirit then. And we trust the spirit in that. Let me just say one more quick thing. Um, another thing for, for young believers is put them in touch with mature believers who figured this out. 
because you know there are there are so many people around us that very quietly if you did a calculation are giving literally 40 and 50 and 60% of their income away there's there's Christian business people in our community who've given their businesses over to God. Um, uh, and, you know, I, the, the whole 10% thing, too, just one other comment, is if you hold true to that, what you're saying is that for the person who makes $50,000 a year, they should give $5,000. The person that makes $500,000 a year, right, they should give $50,000 and live on the $450,000. You talk to people who are mature in this. People that are making a lot of money and they're giving 40 and 50 and 60 and 70% away, they're filled with joy and they laugh at the concept of the tithe because 10%, that isn't even close to what I'm what God wants me to do. And he would steal from me all the joy that I have of giving away as much as I possibly can because they've capped their standard of living. And they said, oh, we can live on this. We're going to give everything else away. And when you talk about that kind of joyful giving, the whole idea of the tithe it just, it just doesn't fit. So maybe connecting young people with some people that are spiritually mature in this area would be another way to go. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I appreciate sort of the practical suggestion there. Um, so I'm, so we're, we're, uh, we've got about five minutes. I'm a little bit torn because uh, I have a couple more questions I really want to ask. So I'm going to start with the last question, and then I'll go to the second to the last, see once if we have time. You know, um, uh, I've had it where uh, I, I know people who have the theology of rejecting the practice of the tithe, where they say it's not biblical. Uh, it's an old it's an Old Testament uh, requirement. We don't find it in the New Testament. Uh, you know, we're free to give beyond the the ten percent, um, and so there's a rejection of the tithe and and its practice. But in reality, um, uh, for, for some folks, not that I know people's giving or whatever, but uh, the, the reality is, is that they aren't even giving anywhere near 10%. Um, what's the, I mean, I know it's the same issue in terms of recognizing the lordship of Jesus Christ and understanding the implications of that lordship. But what's that about when we, when we sort of have the theology of, well, that's not biblical, but then we don't even like the the demand or the requirement of the ten percent isn't isn't placed there. You know yeah, well, is, oh, I do, and isn't it true about every part of our Christian life that that the more we we live into the freedom of the following the Holy Spirit, right. the more the more susceptible we are for self deception and for um, uh, you know following our own path. Because uh, with freedom comes responsibility, and I would just say that if people if people go down this path and say, "Okay, I'm not going to look at a percentage. I'm just going to open myself up to the leading of the Holy Spirit," oh my goodness, you know, I, I laughed one time. I had a, um, a giver say to me, "You know, Scott, don't ask me for an amount because I'm just going to go before God and ask Him what He would have me give." And He was saying that because He didn't want to give near as much as He thought He should be. And, you know, you kind of laugh and say, okay, if you're willing to actually humbly come before the presence of the living God, who's given you everything and say, Lord, what would you have me do? If you have the, if you really have the courage to do that, um, you're not going to come away and, and give um, uh, miserly. You're going to come away with the spirit that's going to give joyfully. So it's, it's a journey. It's a journey, Phil. Everybody's on it. It's a maturity journey. I just encourage people to continue to surrender what you have to Christ come before him, ask him what he would have you do, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I think generosity and joy will follow. Yeah, that's a, that's a great 
place to end. And uh, also uh, in the hopes, I want to end there too, because uh, in the hopes that I could get you to come back sometime and we could we could talk about some more things together, that would be wonderful. Uh, Happy Scott, to do it. Scott Roden, uh, president of The Steward's Journey and also Kingdom Life Publishing. Scott has a couple of new books out, The Million Dollar Dime and The Four Gifts of the King. Uh, available on Amazon and also at Kingdom Life Publishing. And also you can follow Scott's blog on thestewardsjourney.com. And again, I get those weekly emails and I'm so appreciative of them. Uh, for those uh, who have joined us, um, I want to just check to see. I meant to say that they could uh, post some questions. I don't see any here. But I want, um, I want to encourage you as a church leader if you're able to share this, I'll post this on, our, on my Facebook page as a podcast. We'll also have it as a YouTube video so that you can share it with church leaders, uh, get some discussion going around uh, this conversation. Also, I would just want to mention that uh, our quarterly publication uh, called Generosity Today, that was sent out last month. That has gone to uh, every church office in the Christian Reformed Church. If you haven't seen it, ask me about it or else uh, check in your church office. That is a quarterly publica publication designed to promote uh, generous giving in uh, your congregation, especially gifts in a will and gifts of non-cash assets. So uh, take a look, make sure that that's getting into the hands of your folks. Again, uh, thanks for joining us and thank you, Scott, so much for thanks, the Phil. time. Thank you, it's been great being with you. Blessings to everyone. God bless you. Thank you for listening. This audio has been brought to you by Barnabas Foundation. Learn how we can help you experience smart and powerful generosity. Visit us today at www.barnabasfoundation.com.